0: Have you thought
1: this through? No way will that work. Are you sure? Is there any money in that? You'll like, never make any money doing that. How are you going to get the mortgage? Just get a job. Are you going to try to that? Why can't you be normal like anybody else? All right. Will your parents want too? The savvy entrepreneur to the rescue! Congratulations.
0: That really turned out well. I wish
1: I had thought of that. I never thought
0: of anyone's How did you do that? I'm so glad you're here today. I wish I had the courage
2: to follow my dreams. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Savvy Entrepreneur Show. We're broadcasting on WLCD 101.5 FM, based in the greater Chicago, Milwaukee area. If you're an entrepreneur or a small business person or thinking about becoming one, this show is for you. I'm Doris Nagel, your host for the next hour. I'm a serial entrepreneur myself. I've counseled lots of startups and small businesses for the past 30 years. The show has two goals, to share helpful information and to inspire and hopefully make your journey as an entrepreneur faster and easier, and maybe just a little bit more fun. And to help with that, I have guests every week on the show who are willing to share their stories and advice. Now this week, We are lucky enough not to have just one, but two guests. Joining me today by phone are John Kennedy, the founder of a company called 3Dog Logistics, and Pat Vavrika, who is a boutique consulting firm that helps companies with their sales and marketing efforts. Now, just a couple of words about the two of them and why they're here together. Kat is the founder and president of What's Your Plan, a boutique consulting firm that serves small to medium-sized businesses. She helps them with their growth strategies with particular emphasis on sales, marketing, and channel development. She helps her clients in a number of ways. to helps them give clarity to their sales and marketing and customer service strategies. John Kennedy is another serial entrepreneur, like many of our guests, he has strong basic business instincts and loves taking calculated risk. He demonstrated the vision and aptitude for staying a step ahead of the marketplace with a proven track record of success and the ability to scale businesses economically. He broke out from the competition and dominated the category he created with Three Dog Logistics. Now, Three Dog Logistics, the company we're going to be talking about today and the story that Pat and John are going to share is a direct mail logistics company. It was founded in 2005, based in Baltimore, Maryland. And what it does is it moves large amounts of direct mail through the U.S. Postal Service, which we'll hear about. And John, I'm sure, will explain the business model in a little more detail. Now, why Pat and John and how they got together? Well, the story started a couple of years after the company was founded, Three Dog Logistics, which at that time was called Direct Mail Logistics, was a small player in a very big category. And the company had less than 500K in revenue and only about 10 customers. And John was, I don't want to say frantic, John, you were probably concerned and wondering how in the world do you take this small company? And grow it getting a bigger piece of a very large marketplace so their story is what they're going to share today and pat and john thanks so much for being on the show today welcome to the savvy entrepreneur my pleasure thank you
0: thank you for having us wolf wolf
2: right (laughs) (laughs) right so i think john the place to start is with you and how you decided to found the company in the first place and what happened over the first couple of years, and what made you decide you needed to do something different?
0: Well, I've been in the printing and mailing business about for 40 years. I worked for a number of different manufacturers. I worked for some very large uh, mail shops. And towards the end, uh, or oh, I the beginning of 2000, was really the highlight of, of direct mail, Really prior to the internet kicking into a lot, a lot of the, um, you know, mail volume, I think the highest, uh, yearly volume was in 2002. So at that point there, the post office came out with something called a drop shipping discount, you know, where they allowed private companies to move mail from one facility to another facility within the U.S. post office. And for that, they would have what's called a work share discount. They weren't paying you but what they would do is they would say okay your postage would be normally let's say 50 cents a piece if you move it from uh, baltimore to la we'll only charge you 30 cents in postage here so with that there was a delta difference of say 20 cents per piece and as an entrepreneur you looked at things and said well i could probably move it for a lot less than that and since the cost the, of, of transportation was a factor of weight and distance there, I could probably come up with some type of uh, business plan that could really maximize or and really optimize that type of shipping. The post office at that time was giving a flat rate discount. For example, when I said that 20 cents from Baltimore to L.A., it was the same discount as Baltimore to Philadelphia. But as you know, from Baltimore to Philadelphia, it's a couple hundred miles versus a couple thousand miles. Right, cost so cost wise,
2: yeah. Right.
0: So the ability and the and the margin spread was quite large on a very short distance.
2: So what happened though? I mean obviously that was a good idea at first, but didn't scale as well as you had hoped.
0: Well, the the issue was uh, you know, dealing with the post office on a transportation side. <laughs> um, the, the, <laughs>
2: Well, I can only imagine as a consumer, if if we pull our hair out with what the post office does, I'm sure those of you who are partners with the post office probably have all sorts of stories to share. Mm
0: -hmm. And dealing with the post office back then, it was very unionized. There was a tremendous amount of overhead cost there and a very inefficient transportation module, way of, of moving the mail within the post office there. So, just trying to get the ability to transport mail within the post office was the, really the big challenge. And once we were able to overcome that with appointments and how to do things of like that, it really started to click probably within the next, you know, first two to three years.
1: So, I think that part of the question is, too, okay, so now we have this resolved, how do we grow or scale the business from 500,000? Right, because it's obviously, as you alluded to, it's a very big market
2: space, and so I'm sure it's quite competitive.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, I recall John calling me on a Sunday, and I was actually in a seminar in San Francisco, and he called and said something like, um, this mutual friend of ours referred us, and I really respect his judgment, and I'm calling you because I need to do some marketing. And in retrospect, those words always crack me up because do some marketing can mean anything, like put an ad in my church program to yeah. go all out, rebrand, you know, make right. a big splash. So, right, change my Facebook page, whatever, you know. Right. <laughs> and John, what was your mindset right then at that time?
0: You know, I I was always on the sales side of any business I was doing so I was selling for 40 years but going into the market that was a really a big you know how do you market I just thought you called the people you know you just you know <laughs> went ahead and, and you had a website and that was it I didn't know anything about marketing so that was how Pat really got focused with you know marketing material, with the website and all of those things that really gave us the ability to start growing
2: well so how did you find your first customers you just literally put a website up and
0: figured people would be to call? I was lucky enough to be in the industry for you know 20 years prior to it, so I knew all the players. So that part of it, the sales side, was really the easy part. It was the marketing and converting what I knew to more of a more of a really a true uh, marketing program that Pat designed for us. Go ahead, Pat. <laughs>
1: Well, I recall you saying, I don't want to be the world's best kept secret, you know, direct mail logistics
0: in this huge
1: category was a relatively small player and that made big dog crazy. Um, So when he said, I need to do the marketing, he meant I need people to know who I am and flock to me in droves and pay me handsomely for my services. That's really what (laughs) you were looking for, right?
0: Yes. Oh, as, as any entrepreneur wants, you know, that's it. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> and Absolutely. so John
1: actually I... agreed to fly into Chicago. He did a day trip to O'Hare. We met at a local hotel or restaurant. Hotel,
0: wasn't it right? I remember that corner. Yeah, we were just that, sitting there. Just...
1: Yeah, that doesn't sound real good to our audience, but I think they understand. In, in any right. event, we sat there and I was just blown away by his, natural exuberance and i was trying to pin him down it was like trying to nail jello to a wall which is common with a lot of entrepreneurs oh yeah what business are you in what is this thing called male logistics why are you in it what problems do you solve what can your customers expect from you what's your brand promise We did this for five hours, and typically I do it in a confined space, and I call it the war room, and no one gets out until we have answers to these pressing questions, which allows me then to go off and create marketing plans and programs. But partway through that five hours, he was pretty fidgety, and it was clear to me he was being tortured. So I finally said... (laughs) which most clients will assert. But, so I finally said, okay, let's take a break. You know, tell me about you, your family. Pulls out his wallet. Out come the pictures of the three pug dogs. Now he starts telling me about how the dogs ruled the office, which at the time was his garage. And, John, give us a little bit of an excerpt on
0: that. So I, I started the business, I think it was in January, at the kitchen table. From the kitchen table, that lasted a week. I went to the dining room table, and that lasted another week, maybe, because I, I was overwhelmed with file folders and things like that. At that point, I needed to morph, so I morphed up into the attic of this old house I was living in there. So I spent like a year or so in the attic where I had to walk up these stairs. There was no heat up there. I had to wear gloves to type with there. I had a little window air conditioner, but I survived up there and I was able to do it. From there, I, I morphed into the garage, where after I found that I had to hire more employees there, I had three people working. I converted this single-car garage into an office, as Pat and I call it. It was WHQ World Headquarters. And we had a sign. We had a sign made outside of it. And what we always did was we always called it Sweet Three Hundred because you know we didn't have really Google Earth, so they really couldn't check it out that well. So you know the deliveries things, we always had. To, you know, we're in Sweet Three Hundred. You know people didn't want to see a home address. We used Sweet Three Hundred, which is the backyard I garage. It. I love it.
2: Well, so you must have decided at some point in this process, and maybe it was when John pulled out his pictures of his three pugs, to do a whole rebrand to become three-dog logistics. And I know, Pat, you just referred to John as the big dog, and I see even on the website he's
1: the big dog. So so
2: talk talk about how that happened.
1: Well, at first, I call him boss dog, but everyone else calls him big dog. And I have trained him to call me his marketing goddess. So that worked out for <laughs> the extent of the relationship. But when he started telling me that every employee in the garage had a dog bed under their desks, and that was required, and every now and then during the day, the door would open, and I'm sure with muddy paws, these three pugs would come bursting through, run around the office, yap a little bit, and settle into the beds. And I thought that story was a riot. It is a riot. At the end of our five-hour war room torture session, I said, you know, I really have a concern about your name. Direct mail logistics is like a very generic term, and I don't think people are going to flock to you or find you and say, oh, my gosh, that's exactly what I need. You really need to change. Well, is that memorable, right? Not at all. It, you it, need to change. It was,
0: it was white bread. I mean, I called yeah. it, it was white bread in an industry that every other person was direct something, mail something.
1: Yes. Yeah. Yes. I recalled that. It I was had done a little too, bit of research. Kind right. Kind of a Me, a
2: me Too right. brand, a Me Too name. Right. And so the object, not to put words in your mouth, it sounds like, was to create a brand that made people remember you and had a little different kind of twist to things.
1: Oh, and it did. And after arguing about it for a couple of days, because I remember dropping him off at the airport saying, you know, we should really change your name to Three Dog Logistics. Have a nice flight. Goodbye. Uh, and then we we argued about it for a few days on the phone. I said, I we really think this it. Quirk. We didn't
0: argue. We discussed it. That's right. We had an open discussion. (laughs) (laughs) And she won.
1: Yes, I did. I did. But, Doris, as soon as we decided three dog logistics, the dog metaphors and the dog analogies just flowed. I remember him shouting, yes, and we take the bite out of freight. And I thought, oh, "Oh my gosh, this is perfect. Oh, my goodness. Funny.
2: All right. So what happened after the rebranding? Because Three Dog Logistics has become a much bigger player in the industry. So talk about what you did and what happened as a result of those changes.
1: Well, John, let me lead with how we started it off and reintroduced you to the market, and then I'll let you take sure. over because that's really your success story. So as soon as we rebranded, we started sending out teasers. Direct Mail Logistics has a new name, Stay Tuned. And then we sent out mail campaigns to everyone John knew in the industry, which were was significant. He knew a lot of people. And all of the publications and anyone who followed the direct mail industry. And we sent out a great big envelope. Who let the dogs out? We did. (laughs) Introducing three dog logistics. We take a bite out of freight. There's a new sheriff in town and we had a pug dog with a sheriff badge. um, Introducing three dog logistics. So we had a lot of fun with it. And we were able to create a lot of stir right at the very beginning and then the dog metaphors just kept going you know are you dog tired of the high cost of postage and freight we can help um i'm looking at my binder now of all of the the stuff that we the business card the business card that's right the business card We didn't want to pay for laser cutting. (laughs) So anyone in printing, you know, laser cutting was expensive then. So we we ordered business cards for everyone and we physically sat down with pinking shears and cut a bite mark out of the top corner out of each business
2: card. But it was significant
1: because it was something that you would look at and you would show other people. Um, And we initially designed John's cards to be almost the size of an index card because he was big dog. Uh, So... Actually, that idea got squashed because no one would know where to put it once he handed them the card.
0: Um, right. But <laughs> all of the dog
1: metaphors were crazy.
0: I think the business card, the initial one I still have, it was like three by five, four by six. It was massive. Yeah. It was. Yeah. And you'd hand this out there and it would, you'd get the laugh. Everyone started laughing. and Then you follow up with the little tiny business card. But it was a great you know, opening to any sales call that I would have.
1: That's um. right. And in fact, even our press releases, which came on paper, not electronically, had the bite mark out of them. So the press releases were also very different to the industry. Yeah.
2: Great. Well, all right. So what happened as a result of all of this new marketing and rebranding? Was there a, a flood of customers or was it one where... You just started getting a little bit more traction here and there. What what happened?
0: I, I, I think that that's what it was. Uh, what had happened is a couple things. One was the recession of 07, 08, 09 there. So once the recession hit the mailing industry, the mailing volume just was crippled. And the only thing that the mail shops were thinking about, and customers and direct mails, was cost. You know, how can we reduce cost? So for us, the leading... Our sales was, you know, we can reduce your costs. You know, your biggest spend on any direct mail campaign is the postage, and that's probably 60 to 70 percent of the total cost. And if you can come wow. to customers and say that I could lower your cost by X percent upfront and improve your delivery, it's, a, it's a, it was a no-brainer. So mm-hmm. you know, we were able to get customers quite rapidly. Then, just one afternoon, another started growing. Oh, you. And we were dealing with companies not the end user customers but we were dealing with the mail shops or the mail producers so once we got a particular mail shop they might have you know 200 customers that they started sending to us so it was able to grow exponentially because of the agencies and the mail shops we were dealing with and we just captured all their clients themselves so it wasn't have to go after one client after another client after another client we would get one agency or a large mail shop and then capture all the other clients that just came along sounds like
2: there
1: was quite rapid
0: growth
1: is that accurate very in fact uh, when you look at the inc 500 and how they measure growth they're looking for exponential growth year over year so they take a three-year snapshot And they look at your percentage year over year, and that's how they rank you. And that's how John became, right after the third year we started doing this, that's how he ended up being ranked 277 in the Inc. 500. But um, this is all a story about scaling and using a channel to scale, and it's a perfect example to your entrepreneur audience. The other thing that he did, though, was he took this, horribly boring thing called logistics and the poor people who were on the phone and on the computers all day long trying to find their their shipping and logistics provider finally had something fun and they're getting mails from three dog logistics and the website is fun and it got so fun that all of a sudden john and his staff are inundated with pictures of people's dogs (laughs) <laughs> and so we had to quickly pivot and take the website and put up a three-dog blog. Remember that, John?
0: Yep, yep.
1: That's... So what was the, the three-dog blog? Oh, people sent in pictures of their dogs. John ran contests. Right. He he featured his own dogs and told their little story. You know, here's, I forgot their names, but here's one, you know, laying on the beach, oh. watching for girls. <laughs> it was just fun and cute so while he and, was scaling the business he was also making it interesting to the people who had to interact with the business
0: and pat talk about the boxes that we would send out there the marketing boxes with all the all the junk that we would oh, send with oh. the dog stuff <laughs> dog bones and
1: yes we we would send out like a Halloween box, and it was filled with all kinds of fun Halloween paraphernalia, but it would always include something dog themed like a dog bone at one point. John did uh dog chains, remember those yeah, we dog yeah. chains with the information for the company on it and we did we really supported the chotsky business quite heavily those early <laughs> first years. You know, it sounds like we spent a lot of money, but we didn't. And this is at a time when the recession hit and all of the other vendors in his category had kind of sidelined their ad and marketing spend while we were actually exploding ours. And not that it was a huge amount, but we were spending money and we were creating visibility when everyone else was sitting back in the corners licking their wounds.
2: You know, it's interesting that you mentioned that. And so people may be listening and thinking, well, well, that was quite a while ago. I don't know. Is that still relevant? And I think it's probably more relevant or just as relevant today, you know, because there's kind of a bigger question. We're talking specifically about some of the marketing strategies that a small logistics mail distribution company did to completely change its its whole marketing approach and grow the business. But, you know, really I think there's a, there's a bigger story in there, which is you're in a recession. It's so easy to hunker down. And I, I see that even with talking with potential guests, you know, it's funny. I've had a lot of people I've talked to as potential guests on the show and, you know, their answer to me is, well, I don't really have anything to talk about right now. Everything's really quiet. Everybody's hunkered down. And, you know, I find that interesting because if you look back to the last recession and probably other recessions before that, in many cases, I think companies that invested into the recession that mm-hmm. basically took advantage of a challenging time to pivot and do something different. We're often looking back the companies that were successful, and it seems to me that's a that's a message for small businesses today. It's awfully easy just to hunker down and say, "Wow, it's scary. I don't know what's going to happen to my industry. I'm I'm just going to wait and see." And I'm not sure that's always the best answer. Wait, what do you say to that, John? What's your what are your thoughts?
0: I that's exactly what it is. So if you go back to the height of direct mail, which is I think 2002 there, that was the absolute height then. Then all of a sudden the internet came about, um, direct mail was, you know, it's, it was there, but it wasn't as powerful. Recession hit, direct mail took another huge drop after that. And then for the last 10 years, the volume of direct mail has really plummeted in in what it used to be. So we got two problems in our industry. One, the volume is decreasing. At the same time, the cost of postage is increasing. Those are the death nails of anything in an industry. You know, lower volume and higher cost. And what we have been able to do is to really, I would say, um, have a crystal ball, is that probably I think three to four years ago, we knew this was happening because I had other related businesses within the postal uh, world that we we morphed are morphing still into more of an e-commerce fulfillment type of a company and the last year was one of our best years ever just you know during the COVID type of thing that people are downsizing but we have increased our size we have increased our floor space we have done more work with less people we've become more efficient and, you know, we see 2021 as another banner year. Wow. We have morphed also into other industries where it's more, um, health related insurance work, which is, uh, government. We like government mandated type of industries where these companies are forced to do these type of mailings versus things such as, you know, regular nonprofits where it's, Ooh, I don't know if we can afford to do this mailing. Well, in these healthcare industries, you're mandated to make these mailings there. So these are the type of places I want to be in versus ones that people say, you know, uh, I don't think we're going to mail it this year.
2: Well, I have to ask you to hold that thought. I want to hear a little more about that because I think that's really important advice and insights on how to pivot. But at the moment, we have to take a quick break for station identification and a word from a couple of our sponsors. This is Doris Nagel, and you're listening to the Savvy Entrepreneur Show. This week, we have not only one, but two guests. We have John Kennedy, the founder of Three Dog Logistics, and Pat Averica, who's the founder of her company called What's Your Plan? And between the two of them, they plotted on how to take Three Dog Logistics, a small male logistics services company, and grow it. What they were sharing before the break is the story, and in particular, John, you were talking about some ways that companies can pivot during difficult times.
0: So, what we found out with our, our TMS, which is uh, called a uh, Transportation Management Software, which is a very boring name, and how we Pat call it Kitt- Rover. Kitt- <laughs> called we call it Rover, and what does Rover do, Pat?
1: Sniffs out the best rates.
0: Exactly. So
1: oh my gosh. before all
0: of these <laughs> online freight services, we had an online freight costing and lo- a logistics system back before anyone really knew what a TMS was. So when we were able to do that, we were mostly focused in on just direct mail, moving freight from one point to another point in the country there. But we also said, well, this could be for any product. It does- doesn't have to be for mail. So Pat created uh, Three Dog Freight, which we were actually moving freight from point A to point B. It could be anything, from widgets to you know to popcorn to whatever we wanted to move there. So Pat was able to really brand us, and it was the same product. It was the same thing. We just called it a little different. We went after a little different client base, and that also took over. At the same time, we also had clients who had parcels, and I'm I'm not talking about e-commerce as it is today, back then it was product sampling. One of our customers that we were moving uh, mail for said that we have one of our big customers, which was Purina Dog Food, happened to be Dog Food, asked (laughs) us to mail out little samples of new product launches. And we said, okay, that's all part of logistics, that part of mail forwarding. The only thing we needed to do is create some type of a automated addressing thing of these very little tiny boxes. So we invested into some new machinery, which wasn't, you know, wasn't a lot. I mean, it was, you know, it was probably $200,000 of investment, but we were able to morph into a whole new industry, which we didn't even know about. It was was product sampling in which we were, we became probably one of two to three companies in the country that was doing this product sampling of new products. And that had, still does, I mean, it was going for probably a 10-year run that we had with this sampling. Things have changed now. It's just the cost of postage has gone up so much that it's very difficult now for a lot of the um, CPGs, the consumer product groups, to afford it. So they've gone different ways of sending out new products. But, again, this was something that we looked at. We said, well, we already have the infrastructure. Let's just tweak a little bit here, and we get into a new industry.
2: Amazing. Well, it's an industry that's changed a lot, too. You alluded to briefly the fact that since your company was founded, the Internet has really taken off, and that's changed logistics. Talk a little bit about that, because it's that had to have
0: been a huge change for your industry. Exactly. So with that, things have changed into, as everyone knows, is e-commerce. And we had at this time approximately an 80,000 square foot warehouse there. And we said, well, what else can we do with this warehouse there? We were able to look at things such as books. We're a back-end provider for a number of different online booksellers in which we warehouse the books. They come through their websites. We get feeds daily. We'll then do all of the shipping and mailing. And this is all part of what we've always done, shipping and mailing at a low cost. Mm-hmm. So we have a tremendous market sector that we do of, of just books, uh, mailings for different companies, but it's all really wraps around the same model we've been doing for the last you know 15 years and we've just tweaked it slightly to change with the times and now we're also going into more of product we have three customers now that we're doing their full e-commerce where we've invested into the module to accept the feeds from these e-commerce platforms we do the fulfillment the shipping the packaging all the back end work for a lot of these uh, e-commerce companies there
1: Right, because the reality is, even with e-commerce, there's still an element of pick, pack, and ship. and Absolutely.
2: Absolutely. And inventory management and, and exactly. uh, push and pull logistics. You still got to get the product to the customer. I mean, that until we figure out how to be like Star Trek and beam things here and there, you still need to get, have somebody drive it to drop it off, right? That's
0: right. And, you know, the world of free shipping, you know, it doesn't exist. People always say, oh, it has to be free shipping. There's a cost involved. Someone's paying for it. And fortunately, we are able to keep a low cost because of we're spreading our overhead over many different sectors of businesses Mm -hmm. where one division doesn't have to absorb the complete overhead.
2: Mm -hmm. Well, these are great stories and ideas about how you pivoted, but did you experience any challenges as you grew?
0: The, the challenges of our business, we were fortunate that most small businesses of our size, again, we went from 500,000 pad up to, I think, what, 30 some million yeah. in um, on top line sales. <laughs> wow.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yes, that's gross. Uh, yeah, that's, that's good growth. Yeah, And, and he, he the, was on the Inc. 500 five times.
0: Wow. Right. Which is, you know, it's pretty difficult to get there even once or twice because of the percentage growth you have to have. You have to have, you know, hundreds of percent of, of growth just to make it the following year. Year-over-year
2: growth. Right. You're not in one of those, you know, unicorn high-tech kinds of things. You're in a very mature industry.
0: Right. It's very Fortunately, uh, as Pat and I have talked many times there, in our type of business where we don't have to have inventory because all of our inventory is supplied by the clients. it's strictly the back-end logistics work. So the – death of most businesses, cash flow, waiting on receivables and all all of those issues of getting paid, bad debt, things of that nature. We designed it with Pat's help there to make sure that everything's paid up front. We have zero receivables, meaning that, you know, before it leaves our shop, all the postage is paid up front. So what we're doing is we're wrapping our service and our cost of producing it into one cost. So the client is, gets a cost of $3.18 per piece. Part of that $3.18 is the cost of shipping, part of it's our overhead, part of it's our profit, but at least we're able to keep as low as possible because we don't have the issue of cash flow.
1: And along with the cash flow challenges, I recall came brick and mortar. We spoke very right. early on in our relationship about, hey, let's not try to invest a lot in brick and mortar. And John was a little disappointed when I said that because he envisioned trucks and planes and trains right. and automobiles and stuff. But I think, John, eventually you did have to invest in some brick and mortar and you're forgiven. It, 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 it,
0: right. We're forgiven. It was just that we were, we were very cautious and so many businesses get in trouble because they sign long-term leases. They go on to get with payments and machinery, things of that nature. We were, again, fortunate enough because of our cash position there that we paid everything up front. We've never had any debt. We've never had any, you know, long-term obligations. So we were able to absorb any downturns at all. It wasn't, uh, you know, a hiccup in our operation because we were fortunate. enough.
2: So you never went out to try to raise capital and seed money and Series A and Series B and all that? Nope, nope.
0: The series series money came in from my pocket, you know, because, you know, when you do those fundraisers or rounds A, B, C and D, you know, you sell yourself to the devil. These people aren't lending you money because they like you. You know, they're doing it because they want part of you. And you always have to give away something, you know, nothing's for free, either from the banks or from uh, these venture people there, these feed places there. And then you lose complete control.
1: And then, by the way, speaking of no bricks and mortar, John also did it without hiring a sales force.
0: Right. How would you do that, John? So, as I told you before, we were the client base that we're going after. We weren't going after thousands of customers. We were going after hundreds of customers that had thousands of customers themselves. So, we were able to build, a. I was able to build relationships with these agencies. And at that time, turn them over to our customer service reps. So we invested in the CSRs who really have the day-to-day, you know, contact with the clients, versus a sales rep who might be, you know, only looking for a certain type of uh, a client. We were looking for a big fish that had a little, little fish attached to it.
1: And That's if you go after that
0: model, you really don't need the type of sales force always hunting for, for fish. We, we right. want the the big ones only.
1: To a startup, a Salesforce is probably their most expensive venture. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, for sure, and it's and an it's-
2: easy place to go wrong too. Because if you don't hire the right person, you're just right. you know hemorrhaging a lot of cash and
1: not having a lot to show for it. Exactly. And speaking of some of the challenges of growth, I got a call one Saturday and John was babbling about some incident in the Holland Tunnel. And this is one of those famous hiccups that you'll always remember as an entrepreneur. But, John, you should tell the
0: story. So Saturday, I was at my beach house in in, uh, Rehoboth, Delaware. And I get a call from our, our dispatcher saying that, John, I, I think we have a problem. I said, he said, what? He said that I think there's a problem with one of our trucks hitting the bridge in the Holland Tunnel. I said, what? What, what are you talking about hitting the bridge and all that thing? So <laughs> he says that one of our trucks broke apart and there's mail all across the Holland Tunnel. We've shut down oh. the Holland Tunnel there. I said, oh, my God. I was just envisioning this. This what would happen, what it is there. So i get my car, i drive for, you know, three and a half hours up to New York. And what I found out was, is our driver, who was relatively new, was uh, approaching the Holland Tunnel because he was going to make a delivery to one of the big postal facilities there, made a wrong turn. And when he made the wrong turn, he came around this bend and was trying to get back onto the entrance ramp of the Holland Tunnel but the problem was that he didn't see that the height of this tunnel was, let's say, 17 feet, and our tractor trailer was 18 feet. <laughs> and, oh, no! And he went right into this tunnel there, and the literally took the top of our trail off, broke oh, our trailer in half. No. So you envision, you know, on a tractor trailer, there's close to a half a million pieces of mail in the thing. I was envisioning mail all across the Holland and panel, blocking there, things like that thing. Oh, was but I? Fortunately, oh, it was, it was my, my heart was just gasping when I came around the corner there and I saw the truck there and all like that broken in half and literally just snapped. And I was thinking, oh, what's going to happen there? Well, fortunately, he wasn't going that fast. And when he broke the trailer, he was sort of like trying to edge it through. So it was, it was, more of a, it was a slow bend and it just collapsed. Fortunately, all the mail that we had was well-wrapped, and it was was on pallets, and it didn't break up in a big mess. And the tow truck companies there, they had unloaded it. They had brought, you know, so overall, it turned out to be relatively, you know, wasn't a catastrophe that I thought it was when I first heard it on the news that, you know, when I was driving up there, that the Holland tunnel was shut down because of a tractor trailer. And I said,
2: what a tractor trailer that was. Well, it's good that it wasn't that impactful to your business or your customers, but right. I bet you were on the evening news.
0: Yes, <laughs> oh, uh, yes well, fortunately, it was a generic truck that way we, we didn't have any markings on the thing. So when I saw it on the news, would they, they couldn't tell what it was for. Oh, uh, that it was a
1: truck. They was giving their clients a the heart attack. Yes. Well, I was going to say,
2: I bet that wasn't one of Pat's <laughs> planned
1: uh, marketing right. campaigns. <laughs> But I did hear of every mishap in case it could possibly have been my fault.
2: Wow, wow, wow. (laughs) Uh, Well, so, John, looking back, you've grown the company. What do you think of as your biggest achievement?
0: You know, I I think it was just the ability to grow it from just a concept that I have to what it was and, and still is. And to really enjoy the ride that I've had, I, I've been very fortunate, been blessed for, you know, many years now of having the business and being successful at it. And um, it's just been a, it's a wonderful thing to see you've made some impact in a very large industry that I've been involved in for so long, you know, and and really understand what marketing really is because I was always just a salesperson. I say, oh, you just sell. What's marketing? You know, it's really. So different than just selling as a salesperson. Pat was able to create a brand for us, which I never understood before what a really a brand was until really Pat developed it for us.
1: When I look back on all of these years, and I have to admit, it was the most fun I've ever had in my career. It was a lot of work, a lot of pain points, but it was a lot of fun. And I'm looking at things like you know, he got on the Inc. 500 and then he did it four more times. So five times on the Inc. 500, 5,000, which is just remarkable. He took the company from 500,000 to 32 million, I think, in 2019 or 2015. It's right. Absolutely insane. That's insane. Absolutely. Girl. And I remember him saying, oh, I need to do some marketing. Well, He needed a little <laughs> bit more than that, but... The way I measure success is quite simple. In those first years when he said he's tired of being the world's best kept secret and let's do something about it, I saw success when his huge competitors looked over their shoulder and said, wow, where did these guys come from? And he didn't do it with a huge spend. So my message to entrepreneurs is without a lot of marketing spend, you can make an impact. I used to describe startups as two guys, a dogs in a station wagon with a really good idea in their garage. And (laughs) the challenge always was they were really, really good inventors and visionaries. But at some point they'd look at each other and say, okay, we have this great product. We think a lot of people are going to buy it. Now what? Well, for John, I think I was the now what. Right. It was a recognition
2: that just because you build it, they may not come. And you may have to do a few other things in order to help them. come. Right. That is a perfect Uh summary. (laughs) So, John, what you've accomplished is amazing. What's next for you and what's next for Three Dog Logistics?
0: What's next for $3 Logistics is as we have, as I said, we have really morphed into this insurance, e-commerce, government-regulated industries that really we can see our growth in the next couple of years there. And, you know, what comes after, I don't know, but we're definitely able to constantly shift from a straight direct mail, you know, paper in an envelope world to one that people are, you know, go for e-commerce to people where they're getting government-mandated mailings. And that's that's where we are now and we're riding that wave as long as possible and hopefully we will we we'll continue it on. Um, for myself personally, I'm on this a wonderful glide slope. Uh, <laughs> I've I've sold my majority interest in the company to the uh, employees and it, it's on a nice glide slope that, you know, I being a salesperson, being an owner for, you know, 40 years, it's difficult to do a hard stop.
2: Oh, so I'm sure. am, that's another sure. That's another message, I'm sure, which is figuring out how to exit a business and do so gracefully in a way that's rewarding, right? Where are they going and to find another
0: big dog? So my big dog is still there. I still have relationships. Uh, I'm able to look at much bigger pictures. I don't have to worry about the day-to-day operational of any business. You know, it's, it's constant. You know, your healthcare, your taxes, your, you know, whatever it is. I'm glad I'm, I've stepped away from that, that details of the business. And personally, I can do things that I've always wanted to. I'm, I have a, a six- to eight-week road trip, hopefully in June when all this COVID comes down, go camping across the country. I have many, many places I have to see.
2: Looking back, and this question is for both of you, what advice would you have for other entrepreneurs?
0: Uh, Again, I'm going to give this all credit to Pat, is to understand what marketing is all about. It's not just selling. It's really creating the brand. It's creating a strategy, keeping focus on your strategy, and keeping it refreshed all the time um and again the world has changed so much now with this instagram and facebook and all like this we never had that um and and we're not as active on that as other people are but i think in this new world you're going to have to understand all of those instagrams and TikTok, and i don't even know what the other ones are but <laughs> but, but, ha- but, ha- <laughs> but but having you know a true marketing plan, not just, hey, we're going to go out and sell today, or we're not going, to, we're just going to do this today. But Pat gave us marching orders. This is our look. This is what we're going to produce. This is how we're going to uh, promote it and do a lot of, I think the wording is guerrilla marketing, you know, with these boxes. They were phenomenal. We still do those boxes today and we still get calls every time we send them out there. People say, oh, this is the best no one's sending anything out anymore you know we wait to get your boxes in there i mean we go to the the dollar store and buy the junkiest (laughs) junk possible and people just absolutely absolutely love the stuff because they're giving to their kids and things like but they they all excited about it and if you're able to be on the top of the list of someone for you know a five dollar box that we sent out to them there that's well worth it yeah yeah. You, you, you right. don't. You don't need to have, you know, these real expensive advertising campaigns, things like that. Be creative and you know, don't follow the trends of everyone else and, and try something different.
2: Well, and if I could put words in Pat's mouth, maybe one of the things too is that you you alluded to this, John, that there are so many different ways. You could market your business, so many different things you could do. You could spend your entire day tweeting and blogging and right. putting things on Pinterest. And, and, you know, I think it's probably true for you. For me, a lot of us entrepreneurs, we are very guilty of the bright, shiny object syndrome. Uh, it's part of what, what feeds our, you know, scratches our creative itch, if you will. And so having somebody like Pat who says, forget that bright, shiny object, focus over here on this bright, shiny object, and keep your focus on this one, is probably oftentimes a really helpful thing. Is that fair?
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah. And and today, your competition is not just the people in your your own city or your own town. It's worldwide now because of the Internet. So whatever product, if they're selling something or a service there, People can market to you anywhere in the world now because of the Internet, which makes it so, you know, so difficult and but yet so uh, exciting that, you know, your customers can be anywhere.
1: I think entrepreneurs today are much more sophisticated than they were then. And they have to be. And I give them all the credit for that. But at the end of the day, it still boils down to some of the most basic questions. Why did you build what you built, whether it's a widget or a service or a piece of software? And what business problem does it solve and who's going to buy it? I've even said in some of those war room meetings, who cares about what you just did? And they're stunned and alarmed. But if you build and they don't come, then what are you left with? Right. So, we find ourselves actually going backwards and doing that homework that didn't get done before, like market analysis how big is your addressable market? And right. what value do you bring to the table that would cause people to pay you handsomely for your product or service? Phenomenal advice. All right, last
2: question for the two of you. Um, if people listening in are interested in learning more, either just to Bounce ideas off or want to know more about each of your company's services, what's the best way
1: to reach you? Pat, let's start with you. What's your plan? Biz, and I can be reached at pat at what's your plan? Biz or 312 751 9196. I'm happy to take your calls and give you probably some bossy free advice. <laughs> John, how about you?
0: I Again, really- the The only way to find me is through my email. It's John K at 3doglogistics.com. That'll be it for me.
2: Thank you both for being on the show this week, John and Pat. It was a delight having you. Thank you again for your time and your your insights and, and some of the great stories. It's been our pleasure. Thanks, Doris.
0: Thank you, Doris.
2: Yeah, thank you. Well, folks, you can find more helpful information and resources on my website at globalosityservices.com. There's a library there, free blogs, tools, podcasts, and other resources for entrepreneurs. Because the show is for you, the door is always open. I'd love to hear from you. You can always email me at dnagel, N-A-G-E-L, at lakes, plural, lakesradio.org. I promise I'll get back to you. I'd love to hear from you. So thanks again for listening. Be sure to join me again next Saturday at 11 Central Time, noon Eastern. We'll have another great guest and topic. But until then, I'm Doris Nagel, wishing you happy entrepreneuring.